Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds. Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. <laughs> Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! <laughs> Together, they form the Mothership. Their mission, to harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms, to dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership, saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mothership, the Geek Culture Podcast from the USA Today Network. Thank you so much for joining us and happy Friday, friends. Happy Friday. Let's meet the crew. I'm Brett Molina. I play video games. And what's getting me through this week is the Fast and the Furious. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> there the recently the F9 trailer dropped and I saw a tweet from someone that basically was like, I've watched the Fast and the Furious movies on TV but I haven't really sat down and watched it beginning to end. Like it was one of those things where if it was on TV and you caught it like halfway through, you'd sit and watch some of it, but you never really like beginning to end sat through a full fast and the furious. And so I was like, you know what? I don't think I've done that either. I think I've done the same exact thing where it's on TV and I might watch it for a bit and then I'll leave. But then I never actually start to finish watched one. So that's what I've been doing for the last few days. Now I, um, I watched the fast and the furious, the first one, and then just uh, the night before recording this, I watched Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> Both are pretty good. Uh, the first one I like better, definitely. Um, the second one is okay. I'm, I was not sold on Cole Hauser's character, the villain in that movie. Um, he just, I don't know. I just, he, he, did, he didn't seem like he fit very well in that movie. Um, but the rest of it wasn't too bad. I mean, you know, I'm liking the movies just because it's, it's just a straightforward, fun action film. You know, I don't have to think too deeply about it. Nothing. It's just super fast cars, you know, lots of really good action stuff. I love seeing Paul Walker again. I didn't realize how much I missed him as an actor until I was watching these. And I'm like, oh, it, it's like a gut punch a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, they're more fun than I thought. I'm going to stick with the order. I'm going to go watch Tokyo Drift next and then just make my way through. But so far, it's, you know, it, I, I like them. I really do. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, like it doesn't get good until like Fast Five. That's where it like it turns into like it goes from like Street Hoods to GI Joe, and so like that that's that's my that's that's when I'm like I came on board. Um, yeah, I, actually, Tokyo Drift is like weirdly, you know, even though like it's not really a Fast and Furious movie. It kind of is. I mean, they've kind of like retcon pieces of it in there, and like Vin Diesel's, you know, spoiler alert, he's like hardly in it um you know it's 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 a weird little thing but it kind of works but yeah there's two i I didn't i didn't like two four is not terrible one is just kind of you know it is what it is but it's but it's i'll be interested to see when you hit five if it kicks into a new gear for you 
Yeah, I, it makes me. I haven't watched Tokyo Drift yet, but I don't know. I don't think any of the actors from the first two movies are in that. So Paul Walker's not in it. Vin Diesel, none of them are in it, right? No, Vin, Vin is in it. Oh, Vin is very in it. small, okay. very small. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I I like the story. I like Brian's story in the first two movies. I like where it's going. Again, it's it's really straightforward, simple action. I just like his character a lot and following him around. So, um, and I as long as they're tying back into that through the next ones, I think I'll be fine with it. But um, yeah, no, I mean, just for, I mean, some, again, some of the car racing scenes are great. So I, I'm really liking it so far. I'm Brian Truitt. I watch uh, movies and um, what's getting me through this week actually is a book for once. Uh, it's called Project Hail Mary. It's the newest sci-fi uh, book from Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, which was turned into, you know, the Matt Damon creates poop potatoes movie. <laughs> um, what are we talking it, about right now? He never saw The Martian. The Martian. He like, he made, he like grows potatoes out of his own excrement. Yeah, it's, it's a thing. It's, it's, it's part I of just the heard, I just heard crepes and poop and I'm like, where are we going with this? <laughs> what are we but doing? He, has, he like, he's stuck on Mars. So he's got to figure stuff out. He's got to figure out how to live. Hail Mary, which is actually going to be a, which comes out next week and is going to be a movie starring Ryan Gosling, which totally makes sense when you read the, when you read the book. Um, it's, it's interesting because it's like, it's memento meets the Martian meets arrival where this guy, this scientist, he wakes up in space, doesn't know where he is, doesn't know how he got there. And like he, he, and then he's like, he's in another like universe. He's like with another star because he's been sent to save mankind because we're pretty much earth's going to be toast soon. So they got to figure out how to fix it. So he goes to like to another universe to figure out how to do this. And like, so, so it's, it's told in parallel storylines where, you know, there's the prey, there's the present where he's trying to figure out what he needs to do. And then there's like the other stories kind of lead up of like how he got up there. So he, he's kind of remembering it because uh, he has amnesia at first. So then he's trying to remember what happened and he kind of comes to him as the reader finds out too. So it's, it's, it's an interesting little sci-fi book. I like Andy Weir's stuff a lot. I, I never read the Martian, but, but the, the movie, the movie's solid is really good. Um, so yeah, if you like sci-fi and get that next week. Oddly fascinated to learn how he makes a poop crepe, but whatever, we'll save that. No, not a poop. No, no, I, I shouldn't say crepe. So, so, so spoiler for the Martian, I guess, um, a few years, but so, you know, Matt Damon gets stuck, you know, they, they leave him behind this, you know, on Mars. So he's got to figure out how to stay alive until they can get him supplies and everything. And he's like a, he's a smart individual. He's a bot. I think he's a bot, bot, botanist or plant plant guy. I can't remember, um, which is kind of the same thing. So he's got like a potato. So he's got to figure out how to make more potatoes. So obviously he's pooping and like, there's a whole thing on the side of his little space, you know, his little space house, you know, full of poop. So what he does is uses him as kind of like as a fertilizer and for for and he's able to kind of grow potatoes and other crops and everything out of that. So it's how he lives. That's let's let's move on. We're, this is going to be a podcast if we don't. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Um, if this is your first time listening, welcome. New episodes of The Mothership drop every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. While you're on Apple Podcasts, it would be fantastic if you could write a quick review about the show. By doing that, you'll help other fans who love nerdy pop culture find us. And as a bonus, we'll give you a special shout out on the next episode. So try it out. Tell us what you want to see from the show moving forward. It is all upside for you. Don't forget to, along with leaving a review, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at Mothership Pod or email Mothership Pod at USA Today.com. 
We have another special interview double feature this week. This is a really good one. For our first guest, here's a clip. Come with me on the road. Arm wrestling isn't going to solve my problems anymore. I'd like to have my scone that comes free with scone. my order. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Have a great day. I think you really need this. Look who the cat dragged in. Brandy. See you at the table, ladies. Well, has this been wiped down recently? She's got this. Oh, I'm going to have you fill in for me at the National. That's insane. It's $15,000 insane. But first, we train. She doesn't have the fight in her It's like a little fit. Just let her get it out. That was from Golden Arm, the new arm wrestling comedy out now on video on demand platforms. Sorry, today's special guest, Mary Holland. She plays a baker who gets roped into a big arm wrestling tournament when her best friend is injured. Mary's a comedian who you might know from last year's holiday surprise happiest season or TV appearances on Blunt Talk, Veep and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Mary, thanks so much for being here. It's great having you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's start with the question we ask a lot of our guests. How are you doing during a pandemic? Oh my gosh, thriving. <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm okay. I'm it just it, day by day. I mean, it's it's. I've really been reflecting actually on the the changes that have occurred in me psychologically over the last year of like I being out in the world was so much a part of uh, our all of our lives, like doing live improv every week and that being gone has has very much I've just totally shifted the parameters of what I expect a day to look like. So it's it's just been really interesting how how we're just adapting to this new lifestyle. Um, or not adapting and hopefully we'll be able to get out of it soon. But, but I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm coping. Well, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. You know, sadly there aren't that many arm wrestling movies in movie history. Isn't that shocking? What led you? <laughs> it is shocking. <laughs> really. When you, once you see one, you're like, you know, the sky's the limit in terms of like, right. you know, plots. Uh, what led you to this one? This movie uh, came across my path by my good friend Maureen Barucha, who is the director. She uh, was signed on to direct this movie, had directed a sizzle when they were um, getting producers attached for the feature. And she had already attached Betsy Sodaro, who is a, a dear friend of mine. And so I got sent the script and I read it. I loved it. I thought it was so fun. And the the opportunity to do a buddy comedy with Betsy Sodaro, you simply don't pass that up. She is comedy gold she's such a legend and so i was really thrilled i loved the story i loved the world and i really related to the character i feel like with melanie you know she's a woman who is really plagued by self-doubt and has spent a lot of her life on the sidelines and not getting into the mix not putting herself out there and feeling scared to do so you know it's really struggling with with her inner confidence. So that was something I related to. And um, <laughs> so I was very excited to get to play a character. Like so obviously when a lot of people think of arm wrestling movies, the first film that jumps to mind is over the top with, yes. with Sylvester Stallone. Yes. Had you watched that before getting this part or did you watch it as part of your preparation for this role? 
I watched it before and then I rewatched it in in preparation. It's such a fun movie. <laughs> if if people haven't seen Over the Top, you really got to treat yourself. <laughs> I still have Stallone's face burned in my brain where he's like grimacing really like intensely as he's trying yeah, to cat, someone's arm got down. To turn someone's oh, arm down. Yeah. It's it's just so fun and that that movie how I mean, in so many ways, is is different from Golden Arm. But the arm wrestling environments that we play in, you know, in over the top is very much a roadside bar, you know, uh, biker scene. And we have a little bit of that with Golden Arm, which was really fun. But most of the arm wrestling takes place in this uh, this tournament that is just filled with women from all different walks of life who adopt these uh, alter egos and personas and arm wrestle as these characters. So it's it's very bright and colorful and uh, lots of characters that you don't get in Over the Top. I mean, you do get characters in Over the Top, but it's not like, you know, a Viking. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those kind of characters. So yeah, I, I loved that movie. I, I loved him. <laughs> One of my favorite things about Over the Top is how he would use the truck to help him work out and, uh, you know, work on his <laughs> his strength. And that was something we had a lot of fun with implementing with Golden Arm as well as is, is her using parts of the truck to like work out. You know, she goes through a, you know, Mel goes through a, a bunch of arm wrestling training. And it's cool that Dom Marie Jones, yeah. an actual arm wrestling champ, co-stars in this with you. Yes. Uh, did you have to endure your own training for this movie in terms of arm wrestling, in terms of just, you know, looking like you could compete in an arm wrestling tournament? Yeah, I really wanted to, like, sell it, <laughs> like sell that I could be in that world and, and be a champion. And so I, I did, I worked out a ton. I, I did a lot of uh, arm focused working out. I like did the keto um, diet. I, I wanted to very much physically represent the strength that Melanie discovers in herself. But then as far as actual arm wrestling training, that montage was the very first thing that we shot in the movie. And we are so fortunate not only to have Dot Marie Jones play Big Sexy, which she's uh, such a force, um, but she also gave us training while we were training as these characters. You know what I mean? Like I was learning about proper arm wrestling form and technique um, and like learning about the rules and how it all works as Mary, but then also as Melanie on camera. So it, it very much prepped me for the rest of the shoot. And I used those lessons that she taught um, once we got into the tournament part of the shoot. Did you enjoy the training and the, the diet and everything, transforming yourself from, from Mary to Melanie? I did. You know, there is something about, because always as an actor, when you're like stepping into a role or about to play a role, like you get into a space specific emotional or mental headspace but there was something really nice about having a tangible transformation to um take you on that journey as an actor like that that was um because i had never done that for a role before and so i really did enjoy it and it it 
very much got me into the the headspace to play this character. So are you practicing to like the facial expressions you're going to make as you arm wrestle to really sell the fact that you're like, <laughs> I'm working so hard. In you this know what? I did. I did. <laughs> because also <laughs> I feel like uh, I have, I have, as you can see, I have a really expressive face. And so I was like, you know, I don't want to like uh, be too expressive. Like I want it to be be clear that I'm struggling, but then also not make it like, oh my God, you know, I'm about to explode or something like that. I really wanted to like calibrate the intensity of my facial expressions. Also as the like tournament goes on, like not every match can be the hardest thing she's ever done. You know what I mean? Like you kind of want to build to that point. Um, so I did practice a little bit in the mirror. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I got much out of that practice, but I did definitely practice that. I haven't thought about that. That was a great question. I did do that. Well, there's a I lot of close-ups too, because, you know, yes. just, to, just to show, you know, because sometimes, sometimes you're very confident and sometimes you're right. not, and, right. but it's never over the top, you know, over the top where it's like, it's like Stallone, <laughs> where his jaw's like over here and the rest of his face yeah. is over here. You know, it's never that bad, but it's just okay, like, it's, okay, more that's good. It's, it's more subtle. It's more subtle. <laughs> oh, that's music to my ears. Thank you so much. I could have gone full Stallone. I really could have, but I, I don't think it would have suited this tone or this story right <laughs> so there are there are several other competitive colorful competitors in this championship and your character gets a few makeovers herself what was your favorite mel persona and also what were some of the other arm wrestling characters you really enjoyed watching oh my gosh i i had time of my life being on that set we would see these uh wonderful actors dressed as mermaids and like um there was a woman that was dressed as like a, a sort of spooky maid character like she she had like this these this makeup that made her almost look sort of ghostly in a way and so i loved watching these um these actors put together these personas and they were some were super recognizable of like there was a woman who was dressed like French Baroque, like uh, um, a, a member of Louis the 14th court or something like that. Things like that. But then there's also I remember there was a woman who had this headpiece that was just had a bunch of stars all over it. And she was just like a star lady. Uh, and so I, I just had the time of my life watching all these characters, you know, come through the tournament. But with Mel, the the sequence where she's trying to figure out her persona, Betsy and I had so much fun doing that because I would just put things on and come out and then we would we would just improvise what this potential persona was. <laughs> we did this for hours. You look at the sequence now and it's it's like, you know, nice and succinct and she tries on a few things and then lands on lands on something. But uh we did so many things where I, I tried on this outfit that was like uh, it was like a pirate shirt with like a big tutu and then, you know, sort of tassels moving around at the bottom. And I was like, I'm I'm a pirate. I'm a pirate dancer. And 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 I'm dangerous because, you know, I'm a pirate. And so it was just, we had a great time. But I think my favorite persona that I tried on was the ex-wife, which I think was left in the in that sequence where i just put on a sparkly dress and held a wrench and i don't know why ex-wife was the 
the title of this character, but we had a lot of fun. Speaking of colorful characters, you know, before Golden Arm, you had a breakout performance as Jane in Happiest Season, you know, which you also co-wrote. And a lot of people really enjoyed having that, you know, to watch during lockdown. After that, in as much kind of heat, you know, as that movie got, did did your own did your own status kind of raise in Hollywood? Were you kind of like a Wonder Woman after that? Oh my gosh, the uh, the fact that that movie was received so warmly by audiences was um, was so exciting and and really, I, I agree with you that I think against the backdrop of the pandemic when everybody's at home and and um, we're all like missing our families and missing those traditions that we have during the holidays. I, that movie coming out and giving people uh, a taste of that sort of comfort and familiarity and um, those family dynamics that I, I feel like we all find very relatable. It was, it was really very special. And, and the response to Jane just floored me. I, I, I love her. You know, she's really, she, there's a lot of qualities of Jane that are um, based on me. And uh, so uh, being a fan of fantasy fiction and and being very much a person who is like, is everybody else comfortable? Okay, then I can be comfortable. You know, very worried about making sure everybody is doing okay and kind of putting my her needs as Jane does, putting her needs to the side to meet other people's needs. Um, but seeing her so many people relate to that and and love her it just it was incredible um so yeah i mean it it definitely i felt like playing that character and being in that movie uh made me a, a lot more visible as an actor which was really cool do you think we'll get another happy season movie i hope <laughs> i really hope so we had so much fun making happiest season and this group of people is really, really special. We had such a good time. So I, I very much hope we get to do more. So you did this really funny short um, for Funny or Die some years ago called Die Hard Christmas Party with Reginald Vell Johnson. Oh, yeah. What was that experience like working with him? And do you feel like now you're officially part of the Die Hard universe? Oh, my gosh. Well, yes. Yes. And that's the first line on my resume. If, if uh, <laughs> uh, you want me to send that around. Um, he was just fantastic. The, the loveliest, warmest guy. Um, I We were all so excited when he came onto the set. It was, uh, as you can imagine, like we were all freaking out. And he was just really, really courteous and generous and, and lovely. And um, yeah. That was a great experience. Oh, my gosh. So fun. And over the last decade, you've been on a lot of TV shows. Uh, what was your favorite experience on one so far? Or maybe kind of the craziest experience you've had? Oh, man. Well, I, yeah, I've been, I've been very lucky to be on a lot of uh, really amazing shows. I mean, I think Veep comes to mind as being uh, a, a super memorable experience, not only because that is one of the best comedies of all time but the <laughs> sort of what you sign up for when you join the cast of veep is i mean the 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 banter and the lines the insults are incredibly specific and incredibly uh so funny i mean i feel like you watch an episode of veep and you hear insults and um jabs like you you have never heard before and it, it's part of why it's such a special show and makes it so funny. And I remember <laughs> there was uh, one scene where 
Peter McNichol's character had to uh, insult my character. And the lines that he said, I, I was like, <laughs> and I remember the, the writers being like, welcome to Veep, this is what it's like. <laughs> like you, you, um, you, get, uh, you get to like participate in this very intense verbal sparring that, uh, that was a very special experience. Is there a, was there an actor or actress that you got to work with where you were like, I can't believe I'm working with this person? Yeah, I, I mean, Definitely on everybody on Veep. I was such a fan of and so excited to be in the same room as um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, a, a longtime hero of mine. Um, so I was over the moon to get to be on that show with her. And I did do a pilot for ABC a few years ago with Carol Burnett. And that, I think, was something that I, I, will, I will treasure that moment <laughs> for all time. Um, the... It was such a funny show, such a funny idea, and it's a bummer it didn't get made. But the premise of it was that Carol played a, a sort of Norma Desmond type character who was having some financial troubles. And so she sells her house to this young couple with the caveat that she gets to live in it until she dies. Um, so it was like a, a fun you know, comedy about these two families trying to figure out how to share a house with each other. She is just extraordinary. So that was, I couldn't believe my luck that I got to be in that with her. It just it just kind of in being in one pilot with her, you know, what did you learn from her? Just a small amount of time with somebody so legendary. Yeah. Is there anything you yeah. just kind of like took from her just in that short amount of time? I mean, you could see this when you watch her do anything. There's a theatricality to how she approaches her performance where it's, it's really... Um, thought through but still spontaneous and big and uh it just the she just knows comedy so well that i i just watched her and took so much from the theatricality of her performance and how she's still able to make it feel re very grounded and nuanced but still super theatrical the other thing i took from her is how she treated everybody she you know knowing her um but I'm being so aware, as I'm sure she is, of how people revere her and how important she is to people. She came into that space, introduced herself to everybody, was learned everybody's names, so graceful and generous and and kind. And I I really took that from her too, of like that is what an amazing way to create a work environment that people are excited to be in. And that probably carries over into something like Golden Arm where you're, you know, yeah. you're the star of the movie, you're number one on the call sheet, you know, the movie in a sense, you know, it revolves around you and Betsy, but you right. know, Golden Arm is you. And so right. it carry, you know, you probably do want to carry over that same sense of, you know, inspiration and aspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. I, I do think that that sort of the energy, it does flow through the whole project of like if you're because I've experienced it as um, playing supporting roles and then uh, how important it is to have people the people at the helm who are in every scene how important it is for them to have a, a good attitude be positive and and you know respect everybody and enjoy everybody and so I, I definitely was mindful of that with golden arm of of that responsibility to create a, a a workplace environment where people feel appreciated and where it's like we're all having fun. 
We're all having a good time. So, so beyond Golden Arm, what are some other projects that you're working on right now? I, I'm working on this uh, Netflix show that is a limited series called The Woman in the House, and that stars Kristen Bell, and it's a really fun, dark, you know, uh, like a thriller genre type show. Uh, I don't want to get too much into it, but it is uh, really, really fun, and I think people are going to love it. Um, so we're working on that right now, and then just have a bunch of writing projects going with various friends. Betsy Maureen and I are working on a, a horror movie that we wrote together, so that has been uh, really fun. It's inspired by The Thing, which we, you know, everybody loves The Thing. <laughs> right, guys? Right. And... Uh, <laughs> And then Lauren Lapkus and I are working on a buddy comedy together. And yeah, so I'm just uh, writing, writing a bunch of things. Clea and I are working on a TV show idea. So just keep him busy with collaborating and writing, which has been great. Were you able to get a lot of writing done over the course of the last year? And, you know, when you when you couldn't go out and, you know, kind of film anything and couldn't act, did you spend a lot of that time just writing? I did. I tried to really use that time and... Um, it was a nice not having the outlet of improv comedy which is something that Betsy and I and like everybody in our community have been so accustomed to having on a weekly basis writing did provide that creative outlet where it was it was nice to have something scheduled in the day like that we could do from the safety of our homes um so yeah I, I did try to like lean into that and, and fill my days with with as much that as possible well mary awesome well thank you so much for joining us it was great having you and we're looking forward to seeing golden arm and everything else that you've got going thank you so much thanks for having me this is happy season two i want to see what happens when jane has her fantasy novel made into a movie that's me that's what i need that's the movie that needs to happen (laughs) i know that's i actually have thought like is it crazy to like write a fantasy movie that is based on a book that's mentioned in another movie is insane. <laughs> but I agree with you. I want to see what happens with Jane and, and with her book. Thanks again, Mary, for being here. Don't forget to check out Golden Arm on video, on demand, on various streaming platforms. Let's get to our next guest. Next up is someone who Marvel fans are probably very familiar with. Here's another clip. all quiet i'm sorry wait who are you captain america that was from the finale of disney plus's the falcon and the winter soldier which aired last friday and featured anthony mackie who's been playing sam wilson aka the falcon in marvel movies since captain america winter soldier in his new red white and blue flight suit as the new cap officially taking over from chris evans brian got to talk with the brand new captain america about the big reveal and what comes next hey anthony how you doing man Hey, Brian, what's up, dude? Not too much. How, how are things with Captain America? Uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. Trying to 
you know, keep the rain away today. But other than that, it's good. <laughs> That's good. Um, when you're filming that, that for, you know, kind of that first scene in the finale with you in the new suit and shield and you say for the first time, I'm Captain America. Is that a good day in Anthony Mackie's life? You know what? That was the worst day in my life <laughs> because <laughs> GSP world renowned MMA fighter pound for pound, probably one of the best strikers in the history of MMA. We were doing our fight sequence and he actually punched me in the face. Wow. <laughs> and I have to say, I took a full punch from George St. Pierre and I did not go down. <laughs> wow. Everybody saw it. They have it on tape. I took a full punch and then I took a full kick to the chest from, from George St. Pierre and I went down, but it didn't knock me out. So you knew what Sam was, was going against super soldiers. You're like, I have to go against a super actor. <laughs> yes. That was by far the hardest day of my career. Having that dude, having punched me. It, it was, it was a long day. Put it that way. So by the time I got to the, I'm captain America moment, I was like, dude, this is, this is the worst job. I, I want to go back to being the Falcon. Just leave me alone. <laughs> In the comics, Sam Wilson debuted as Captain America early on in your, in your Marvel run. At that point, did the thought cross your mind, man, I might be wearing that get up one day? No, not at all. I never, literally not once did I think they would bring that into the uh, film uh, universe fold because the Marvel doesn't follow the comic books point for point, storyline for storyline. So I never considered the idea of in any way, shape or form becoming Captain America because, you know, Chris, Sebastian and I, we've always had fun together. Mm -hmm. So the three of us being together is way cooler and way more fun than me sitting in the bushes trying to get Chris Evans job. You know, it's just, it, it's not worth it. You know, this season was very much the road from Sam thinking the shield was someone else's to to owning it for himself. You know, for you, is there a scene, you know, he interacted with so many people, had so many things happen to him. Is there a scene that submitted at home for Sam where he knew he wanted to be Captain America? Do you think? I think it was the uh, the training scene with Bucky uh, when they were throwing the shield and they were talking. Uh, the idea, you know, uh, America struggles with acknowledgement. And specifically acknowledgement for uh, black Americans and their contributions to what this country has become. And it meant a lot to Sam just simply for Bucky to say, I never considered what it would mean for a black man to become Captain America. You know, and I think that was the huge turning point for Sam where, we, you know, finally, you know, you get it. You know, and it was it was a cathartic experience and his his uh, ability to release that that pain and frustration in that moment, I feel, turned that character, you know, completely on his head and moved him in the direction of accepting the idea of being Captain America. You know, Steve Rogers was for a long time the moral center of the MCU. And I feel that Sam takes on that mantle, too, in that impromptu speech he gives and says, you know, the only power that I have is that I believe we can do better. Do you think that Sam's, you know, Steve moment or are his words indicative of an important direction for this whole universe going forward? Um, I think it's, it's very important. It's, it was a very important line and moment for him. 
Captain America will be very different going forward. Um, you know, with Sam was so interesting. You have to realize he's the only person who's not a superhero. He has no serum. He has no powers. He, he's just a dude who went for a jog and became an Avenger, <laughs> you know? So instead of using brute and bronze, you know, he has, and him being a, a former counselor, military counselor to vets, you know, his, his emotional path, his mental path is completely different. You know, because even when he's fighting Carly, you know, his whole thing is to talk Carly down, not to go in and beat the shit out of Carly. You know, that that counselor aspect of him is still there. So it's, it's very important to realize that that, you know, he still had them hands. You know, if push come to shove, he can give you a one, two. Uh, but the reality of it is, how do we move forward in a more uh, sophisticated way instead of, you know, you know, dropping a city on people away. Have you heard from Chris since Friday? Has he sent you a text or anything? No, I talked to him last week, but I haven't talked to him since Friday. Mm. So does he, he, does he, he knows though. You talk, have you, you know, he knew about you kind of taking on Captain America. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. He, um, he's been, you know, a huge supporter and, a uh, uh, a very positive entity since all of it started, you know, with Endgame. Um, you know, he's he's always been there uh, as a friend, excited for the fact and possibility that, you know, I'm moving forward. I might I might have been Captain America. And now that I am, same thing. So uh, was it after Endgame where they kind of set you down and be like, okay, so you're going to be Captain America, but you know, after this six hours of show. <laughs> It, it was it was after Endgame. I went out to L.A. and we had a, a long sit down powwow and they gave me the idea of what was going to happen and how I was going to move forward in the universe. Um, but no one knew the exact ins and outs. You know, I remember getting a call from uh, Kevin Feige, you know, four months after that meeting. And he's like, you know, we hired Malcolm Spillman to be a writer. I'm like, wow, Malcolm Spillman. That's great. That's when two months later, he's like, you know, we got a writing room and we're going to introduce Isaiah Bradley into the fold. And I'm like, holy shit, Isaiah Bradley. That's amazing. You know, so it was little tidbits like that up until we started shooting. I saw a video online yesterday where you were talking about, I think it was something from the past where you're talking about sharing an emotional moment with your son after Endgame when he asked about if you were Captain America. What did you think about the final episode of the show, you know, last Friday? And are you even cooler now since it's official and everything? (laughs) Uh, I don't think it's me being cooler. Um, You know, it's, it's weird because with my boys, you know, I'm very frank and blunt and forward with them about, you know, what it means to, sacrifice you know like a lot of people don't realize as actors how much we put aside how much we give up in order to be successful in our field Mm -hmm. um and you know it's uh it's it's funny because my two little ones you know they were the five of us were watching it together and the two little ones looked at the tv they looked back at me they looked at the tv and they go dad that guy looks just like you (laughs) i was like yeah i know and the other one goes, he sounds like you too. I know. So they look at the TV and they look at me and they're like, you know, dad, you could be Captain America. I was like, I know. And the other two start laughing and they're like, mm, can we have some more popcorn? I'm like, so y'all don't give a about anything but popcorn. <laughs> 
So how old are they? How old are the little ones and how old are the older ones? Uh, the little ones are five and four and the big ones are 11 and eight. So okay. the 11 and eight year old get it. Got it. You know, yeah. that to them is, is really cool. You know, they, they've seen all the work that I've put in and all the things that I've had to do um, to sacrifice to get to where I am, you know, but the little ones are just like, they don't get how you can be on TV and on the couch at the same time. Like that makes no <laughs> sense to them. <laughs> That's funny. So there's rumblings of a Captain America four movie. You've probably heard them that mm -hmm. Malcolm Feldman's writing. Is that official or is that still hypothetical at this point? Dude, I, I saw, I, I, I learned this just like everybody else. Like I love working with Marvel because you literally find out stuff from people at the grocery store. Like I had no idea. They didn't call me or tell me literally the dude at the grocery store takes off his mask and he goes, are you really starting part four? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, takes out his phone. He's like, look, look, that's you. That's you. Nobody told me, you know? So, you know, it's always a surprise. You know, I found out in the grocery store buying red beans and rice. <laughs> if such a movie were happening, and if you were to star in such a movie, what would it mean to you to headline a Marvel movie? Uh, that would be everything, you know, it's, it's funny because I've been doing this for so long, you know, getting into the business. I had two, two wishes for my agent at the time. I was like, I want to do a Western, preferably with Clint Eastwood. Mm -hmm. And I want to be a superhero. That was all I wanted. And after that, I'm done. I'll go like, you know, make po' boys at a local po' boy stand downtown. <laughs> right. And, you know, the idea of being, the the title character in a uh, Marvel movie, uh, there's no words to describe that. There's no way of, you know, no, I, especially as a black actor, like, you know, black actors don't get those opportunities. Mm -hmm. We just don't, you know, and to have that opportunity, it would really, you know, for all the, the work that I had to do, the 11 years of training the, you know, for all the stuff that I had to do to get here, it would be a, uh, a monumental feat. So you just need to talk to Clinton now and then, then you can retire. Dude, I'm working <laughs> on it. I really want to go back and reshoot all the scenes in Unforgiven with Morgan Freeman and just put me in all those scenes. <laughs> well, your next project is Amazon solos anthology series. What's your role like in that? You know, it's crazy. Um, Solos is one of those. Uh, I, I play a, a young man who plays opposite himself. So it's two of me talking to each other. And um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's just 35 pages of me. I, I'd never when I read the script, I was blown away by by how beautifully and eloquent it was written, how emotional it was. And, you know, we get to a place in this business where, you know, I'm 20 years in. So, you know, you can phone it in. You can do the same thing, same way in every movie, pick up a check and go home, you know. But uh, with COVID, I wanted to test myself. I wanted to see if I still had it. You know, my dad will always tells this story about, you know, once a year he tests himself to see if he still got it, you know. <laughs> and I used solos as, as a test to see if I still had it in me to do that work 
that I used to do. And um, I'm proud of it. It's, it's an amazing piece. It's an amazing series. Uh, David Weir did a kick-ass job with every single episode. And, um, I, you know, it's Helen Mirren and Anne Hathaway and Morgan. Once again, Morgan Freeman. I can't get away from this dude, you know. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited for people to see it. You know, I really enjoyed your, um, your, your scenes with Carl. You know, the Isaiah and Sam scenes, because I mean, I feel like those were important for Sam, you know, talk with Isaiah before he officially put on that suit and afterward to kind of, you know, as I'm almost a postmortem. He didn't really care who, you know, what his reviews were for Captain America until he saw him. You know, he wanted to know what he thought, I feel. Right. No, definitely. The uh, and that was all Malcolm Spellman. You know, the idea of. um Captain America and because it was a it was a limited series in the comic book that they wrote called the truth series. Mm -hmm. And it was with the testing of the uh, super soldier serum on the Tuskegee Airmen. And, you know, at the time, the series didn't do well. So I hope they reprint it so people Mm -hmm. can go back and read it because it was amazingly uh, put together. But when Malcolm, you know, fought to put Carl Lumley and that character into the series. And it's funny because I had just worked with Carl on Alter Carbon Mm -hmm. and uh, Kevin called me and he's like, yo, so, you know, Isaiah Bradley's going to be in a series. I'm like, that's dope. And he's like, I really want Carl Lumley. And I'm like, I love Carl. (laughs) So I have a rule now. I'm like, I have to work with Carl once a year because he is like my, my magic potion. He is my good luck charm. Cool, sir. Thank you so much for taking time. I appreciate it. Okay, listeners, it's your turn. Are you watching Golden Arm this weekend? Are you stoked about Anthony Mackie as Captain America? Let's talk about it on Twitter. You can find us at Mothership Pod, but you can tweet at us individually as well. I'm at Brett Molina 23. I'm at Brian Truitt. Don't forget, you can email us too. We're at MothershipPod at USAToday.com. That'll do it this week. Thanks so much for listening. Special thanks to our pilot slash producer of the Mothership this week, Adam Fish. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, you can subscribe to the Mothership for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, how about you leave us a rating or a review? Helps other people find the show and we get some great feedback. If Apple Podcasts isn't your thing, you can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Until next week, nerds out. Later. Later.